0: Hi, it's Erica Kohlberg, and before we dive into today's podcast episode, I have an exciting announcement that can help you save an extra $1,000 without having to penny pinch or change your lifestyle. On Monday, I'm running my free five-day savings challenge, where you'll discover simple and creative ways that you can save extra money every month, and whatever you want to do with that extra money is up to you. I'll just show you how to save it. The challenge is totally free to join. All you need to do is go to erica.com go. Erica is with a K and you can secure your spot. By the way, these strategies that you're going to discover can help you easily save money, whether you're a budgeting novice or a finance expert, and they're going to get better and better throughout the week. But I have to tell you, I'm so excited about this and don't want you to miss out. In November of last year, we ran a savings challenge and had over 200,000 people sign up. And on average, people saved $1,005 that month through what they learned in the challenge. That means our challengers collectively saved over $200 million. So trust me when I say you don't want to miss out on this one. And the deadline to sign up to be part of this free challenge is Sunday, 1159 p.m. Eastern time. So make sure you secure your spot and get free access today. Again, that's erika.com slash go E R I K a.com slash go. See you inside.
1: I was starting to feel, I don't know, not guilty, but just a little annoyed at the idea of paying a landlord and not getting any equity out of it. And I'm a big fan of investing in your backyard. Hi, my name is Rob Abisolo, and I've got a unique obsession with building tiny homes. Five years ago, I decided to try out this crazy concept where you rent out your house to strangers on this thing called the Airbnb. Anybody out there can get started in real estate. I try to make real estate approachable to the everyday person. That's my mission in all things that I do.
0: You're listening to the Erica Taught me podcast, the number one business podcast in the U.S. where we talk about entrepreneurship, money, and how to improve your life and achieve success. I'm your host, Erica Kohlberg. I'm a lawyer and personal finance expert with over 20 million followers on social media. Today, I'm talking to Rob Abasolo, co-host of the Bigger Pockets podcast and short-term rental expert. Four years ago, he accidentally fell into the short-term rental gig and is now making over six figures of passive income a year. If you're interested in real estate investing, this is the episode for you. I'm Erica Kohlberg, this is Erica Taught Me, and today we're here with Rob Abasolo. You guys know that I love investing because you know that if your money is just sitting in a bank account, you're losing out to inflation every single year. That's why you invest it so that it grows for you without you having to put in any extra work. I've been using an investing app called Webull for almost four years, and I had them do something really special for my listeners. By using my link to sign up today, you can get between 6 to 12 fractional shares for free. All you need to do is open an account and deposit any amount, even a dollar, to claim your free shares. So just by depositing a dollar, you'll get between 6 to 12 free fractional shares. And if you're wondering what to actually invest in, we talk all about investing in episode 28. So go ahead and listen to that episode. To claim your free shares through my special link, just go to ericataughtme.com slash invest or click the link in the show notes. And it's Erica with a K. Again, that's ericataughtme.com slash invest. So how exactly did you get started on Airbnb?
1: We were living in Kansas City and we wanted something more. We weren't making a ton of money. We'd always wanted to live in LA and I was just like, let's do it. Let's move to LA. And... We moved to LA and we got this 660 square foot apartment and it was 1,850 bucks a month. I was starting to feel, I don't know, not guilty, but just a little annoyed at the idea of paying a landlord and not getting any equity out of it, right? Like I just felt like I was throwing away money. And so I pitched the idea to my wife to buy a house. It was $624,000. Our previous house that we had sold when we bought it was 159,000. So this was a pretty big step up for us. About four and at the times. time, you had
0: no other properties.
1: No, yeah. We sold our one property to move to LA, so we had nothing. Yeah. We had about $40,000 of profit from that first property. And the reason I felt like it could work was because it had this little 280-square-foot studio apartment. I went into this asking, not can I afford this, but how can I afford this? And at the time, I had heard about this website where you could basically rent your space to strangers and they'd pay you money for it. And obviously that website's Airbnb. Mm -hmm. And so when I was looking at houses and trying to make them work, we just couldn't afford them. Like simple as that.
0: The $625,000 house was just a studio.
1: No, it was like a main home. And then underneath it was just like a tiny little studio.
0: Oh, with its own separate entrance. Yes.
1: Completely, it's attached, but it was just completely separate. Very private. You would never run into that studio.
0: Got it. What was the down payment for that one?
1: On that one, it was a three and a half percent down payment. We did what's called an FHA loan, which is like a government subsidized loan. And so I think after all of our closing credits and seller credits and negotiations— we paid 18,500 bucks out of pocket to move into that house.
0: Wow. So, walk me through the math that you were doing with your wife when you were thinking, okay, there's this site called Airbnb that I can list it on and potentially make money from someone coming in and staying for one or two days. Walk me through that math.
1: Right. So, just doing a calculator and seeing what my mortgage was going to be, it was going to be about 4,400 bucks. And this was back in the day when interest rates were like, you know, 3% or something like that, right? So, it was 4,400 bucks. And I was like, all right. Well, we're already paying 1800 bucks at the apartment, right? So, to own a home, we have to pay another $2000 out of pocket. And so I was like, all right, I've already budgeted the 2000, but I saw this house and it had that studio apartment, and I just started looking at neighbor neighbor Airbnbs and looking at their calendars and calculating that they were all making 2 to 3000 bucks a month. And so I was like, all right, I think it'll be like a a, a break even, right? Like I think we'll make 2-3k on this little 279 square foot apartment. And then we were already paying the $2,000 on that apartment, on the first apartment that we had when we moved in. And so I was like, all right, that'll be like 4K. And, you know, we buy this house, but we still had that apartment that, that we had when we moved to LA. And so I was like, well, let's just put that on Airbnb. Um, I didn't realize at the time that this was rental arbitrage. And that's effectively where you go and you rent an apartment and then sublease it on Airbnb. Now you have to get permission when you do this, right? So later on, we started doing more arbitrage and then having to pitch landlords. And that's a lot tougher whenever you're actually sitting with the landlord and ex- having to educate them on what Airbnb was. But regardless, we put that first apartment on Airbnb that we moved into, and that was making about one to $2,000 profit every single month, just from that first wow. one. Wow. So between that and then the studio apartment underneath my my house, that was two to 3000 bucks. I wasn't paying a mortgage.
0: That's crazy. So I actually have an Airbnb story. When I was in law school, I was renting the studio and I figured, well, on weekends when I'm not as busy, maybe I can go sleep with friends or sleep in the library and rent the apartment out and make some money from it. So I was an Airbnb host for a good year or so. Oh, really? Yeah. Okay. My third year. Did you do of law the cleaning school. or no? Actually, yes, I was the cleaner too. Oh, okay. Of cool. course, because I was too cheap at that time to ever pay for a cleaner. So I did everything. And my first guests, I was so good. I like got fresh flowers for them. I wrote handwritten notes to them saying like, hope you have a great time in D.C. The golden I days. I had chocolate. Like, Yeah, I was a good host.
1: <laughs> yeah, I had a buddy who, similar story, he was in college. He, he had a, a dorm and he put that on Airbnb. And that dorm had this like basement under it. Like, and I, my dorm actually had a basement just like this. And it was just like dark and creaky and had like a bunch of spiderwebs. And uh, it was just used for like whatever storage that they had. And so he would rent his apartment or he would rent his dorm on Airbnb and just go sleep in the basement.
0: And he said he did that for like
1: 50 to 75% of the year.
0: It was worth it though. Yeah. For a
1: college kid. I mean, he was making thousands a month doing it. So yeah, he was living the high life for sure.
0: So what were kind of the early lessons that you learned as you started to Airbnb out your two places?
1: Yeah, so customer service is definitely a big part of it. I mean, you know, you'll know, you see a lot of people, and I'm part of this camp too, that that do preach that Airbnb is a very passive business. But it doesn't start out that way. If you're getting your first Airbnb or your first two or three or four, it's not passive because you're learning how to do it. And thus, you're failing all the time. And I just didn't realize, I mean, back then it was actually a little easier because guests weren't quite as demanding But I just didn't know how to automate things. So biggest lesson for me was not automating like messaging, for example. When someone gets a reservation, I would go in and I would send them a message from my phone and be like, hey, uh, thanks for booking a a reservation at my house. Here's the the check-in instructions. Hope you have a great time, right? And so that's doing it manually. But there are a bunch of different systems and tools and platforms that you can go into that actually... We'll send that on your behalf at scheduled times. And same thing with like cleaners. Like I was texting my cleaners and scheduling them in. And, you know, that's very easy to do when you have one. And then you get to four and five and you start, you know, things start falling through the cracks, right? Like you have to send check-in instructions to people, check-out instructions, guidebooks. You have to answer their questions, like confirmation messages, all that stuff, right? When you're doing that with five sets of guests that are all checking in and checking out on any given day you're going to mess up all the time. That was a big lesson for me early on was, how do I automate as much as I can so that I'm not in the weeds all the time?
0: So at that point, you were doing two different kinds of airbnb let's say. One was the rental arbitrage where you didn't own the property, but you were renting it, and then you were renting it, then renting it out on Airbnb to make a profit. Correct. And then the other was where you owned the property, but there was a part of the property where you could rent that out.
1: Yeah, that's right. Mm
0: -hmm. Was the other part of the property that... Where you could live? Mm-hmm. Oh, so that's where you and your wife were living.
1: Yeah, right above the tenants. It was a two-bedroom, one-bath on that. It, it's a, kind of a really weird configuration, but it's LA, so houses are always on hills and stuff. So the main home was like up a flight of stairs on a hill kind of thing, and then yeah. underneath it, that extra space was like a studio apartment that's like under it. So, um, So it's like the garage and then the apartment, and then over that was the
0: house. If you're listening, let me guess. You have a passcode on your phone. And let me take another wild guess and say that you have a password on your computer. But why are so many of us okay just being completely unprotected online? We have no idea who has all our personal information online and whether it's the good guys or the bad guys who might be selling your information or worse. We're talking spammers, telemarketers, robocallers, people who want to know more about you and even where you live. My sister had her data leaked online, and because of that, her identity was stolen. And it was a nightmare to deal with. We had to lock down all her credit cards just for starters. That's why I'm excited to tell you about Aura, a sponsor of this episode. Aura can identify data brokers exposing your info and submit opt-out requests on your behalf. When I discovered it, I knew I had to try it out, just to see if my information had been leaked online, which they let me see instantly after I signed up. And get this, for my audience, they're offering a free 14-day trial so you can see if your personal information has been leaked online. To find out now, go to ericataughtme.com aura to claim your free 14-day trial. Erica with a K and aura is spelled A-U-R-A. Again, that's ericataughtme.com slash aura, and I'll also leave the link in the show notes. What do you think is the easier route for people to start with? Is it the rental arbitrage or is it getting the, their own property that has some kind of place that you could rent out?
1: It's a really good question. And I think it pretty much comes down to how much money you have really getting started. So there are two camps of people uh, that, are, that usually get started in the world of short-term rentals in general. There are people that don't have a ton of money, right? They have like, let's say, five to $20,000 to get started. And then there are people that have money to actually invest into a property and that could cost you anywhere from... Twenty-five to two hundred, three hundred thousand dollars. Right, it's a it's a really big range. So if you're in the camp that you only have, let's say, ten thousand bucks, then rental arbitrage is the the clear route to take because you can call a landlord and pitch them on the idea of Airbnb being their property. And if they say yes, well, you're going to have to come up with first month's rent, last month's rent as a security deposit. So let's say it's fifteen hundred bucks. That's like three thousand dollars. Let's say it's a one bedroom, one bath. You'll spend six to eight thousand dollars to furnish that, and then a few other miscellaneous costs. Um, I've already lost track of the math there, but I think it's about ten thousand bucks, right? Yeah, you could feasibly do that, and if you did that in a in a really good area, you could make, you know, one two thousand dollars a month, like I was. Um, So that's Camp One. Camp Two is you can either go and put a down payment on a property ranging from ten to twenty percent. So if you're buying a $300,000 house, it could be anywhere from $30,000 to $60,000. That would be taking it more the vacation home route Mm -hmm. that you use for part of the year and then you rent it on Airbnb or making it purely an investment. Um, But actually what my wife and I were doing is one of the most simple, best ways to get into real estate, and it's house hacking. And house hacking is effectively where you rent a space or a room or a studio that's attached to your house it doesn't have to be Airbnb. It can be. It can also be a 12-month tenant. And you use the money that they pay you to subsidize your mortgage. This, to me, is my favorite way to get into any type of real estate because it allows you to get into a home for a very small amount, three and a half percent. The only reason my wife and I were able to pay three and a half percent, the $18,500 number that I gave you earlier, was because we were living in it. It was our primary residence. Um, If that was an investment property, we would have paid a lot more, right? So this allows you to get into a property, you get to own it, and then if you have an extra room and you have a buddy or a friend or a coworker, whoever, that needs to needs a space to live, they can pay you $400, $500, $1,000 a month, and then that's money that you don't have to pay towards your mortgage.
0: That makes a lot of sense. So when you're thinking about this, I mean, what are the things that you care about? So for example, for renting out properties on Airbnb, you want to make sure that the occupancy rate is high. You don't want to try to find a place and put it up on Airbnb and have it sitting there for 26 out of 30 days, right? So what are kind of the considerations that you go through as you're looking at a property to rent out on Airbnb?
1: Aesthetic is really, really important. I mean, there's a lot of different niches and different types of audiences to, to fulfill, right? Some people are just looking for a cheap place to stay. That's what I got started in, right? I was just giving them a cheap place to stay. You know, that side of things is a little tougher, right? They're a little tougher on the Airbnb. There are people that need longer places. I call them medium-term rentals, where people are looking to stay at your place for 30 days at a time or more. There are people that want a place with amenities in the Smoky Mountains. That's where I have a couple of cabins. It's very important to people to have a hot tub. And so your place, if it doesn't have a hot tub, you're just not going to make a lot of money. I've got two properties out there. One of them has a hot tub, makes a lot of money. The other one doesn't, doesn't make a lot of money.
0: I didn't realize that. And what counts as medium-term rental?
1: Yeah, that's a good question. So short-term rentals typically are anything from one to 30 days. Really, it's like one to seven days is like what a typical short-term rental is gonna be, but from a most cities classify it as like 30 days or less. And then anything outside of that is a long-term rental. Long-term rentals are typically nine to 12 month leases. We call them medium-term rentals because they don't typically pan out to be 9 to 12 months. They're usually a month to three months. And if you're lucky, like me, like I've had for the past um, five months, you might find someone that comes in for like six months.
0: And can you charge more or less for medium-term rentals? I imagine for short-term rentals, you'll make more per night, right?
1: Yeah, that's right. So it's a, it's a bit of a spectrum. So usually a short-term rental is going to bring… Like three to four times what a long term rental is gonna bring. And then a medium term rental is about two times more than what a long term rental will be. So if you can rent something for a thousand bucks a month as a long term rental, as a medium term rental baseline, you should be able to make like two thousand bucks. And then as a short term rental, you could probably pull in anywhere from, you know, $2,500 to $4,000 a month.
0: So walk me through. I imagine you have a spreadsheet before you even think of entering into a project you have a spreadsheet to run all of the numbers mm-hmm. what numbers are the most important what are you running
1: yeah so there's a couple of things you're trying to estimate um effectively how much the the debt to build the house is going to cost you so for, for example if i were going to go out and build that house right now let's say it cost me 200k i'd have to go borrow money to build that house right i don't just have the 200k sitting around that i would want to use for this right so if I'm going to do that, I'm going to pay interest on the $200,000 during the year that I'm building this tiny house. So I have to effectively add up all of the interest in all of those soft costs and hard costs that go into it. And then what I'm trying to calculate is by the end of it, am I able to pull all my equity out in a refinance and effectively pay back all of the, the debt and I'll, you know pay myself back? And then I'm also trying to figure out how much it's going to cash flow and how much money it's going to make, and if it's worth it, right? Because I don't want to be into this project for a year. I don't want to spend like twenty, thirty thousand dollars 30000 in interest. I don't want to do all this if it's only going to make me like 500 bucks a month, right? I mean, people do it all the time. But for me, if I'm going into a project that's going to require like, you know, one to one and a half years of my time, I want it to make me like thousands of dollars every single month. So that's something that I'm also thinking through as well. So it's, it's pretty like, you know, there's, there's a lot of components there, right? Like, The cost to build, how much money I'll make, can I pull my original investment back out of it? Yeah. So, you know, and I say all this now, hopefully eloquently, but back then it wasn't really, you know, I wasn't thinking through all this. I was just doing it. You know, I, I, when I first got started in real estate, I was like, I want to do it. So I'm going to do it. And then I'll just learn the hard way if I'm doing it wrong. And I did many, many times. But now because of it, I have my systems and my philosophies and my, points of view on on how to approach things.
0: When you were just getting started, what were the resources you were looking at? Where were you learning this information from?
1: You know, at that time, there really wasn't a lot. <laughs> you know, like I, I didn't have like a particular mentor. The Raw Built YouTube channel didn't exist. You know, like I would try to YouTube certain things, but they're just, you know, it's not like real estate YouTubers were new or anything, like weren't, weren't existent. It just exciting ones or people that I connected with you know, weren't, weren't out there. Now there's like a ton of resources out there, like so many more than there were five years ago when I first got started doing all of this. So I was really just kind of shooting, shooting at the hip, honestly. Um, and then like I, I had a couple of people that I knew that did real estate and I would ask them questions and sometimes they would answer and sometimes they'd be like, all right, you've taken advantage of my, my gracious time go away <laughs> kind of thing. Um, so really I was just kind of figuring it. I mean, really what I learned, what I learned from a financing and lending standpoint was just from calling like a thousand banks and like begging them to give me money.
0: I recently went on an anniversary getaway with the husband and it was beautiful. Here's everything I got for free. We got free business class tickets for an international flight, which meant, yep, you guessed it. I got free access to the lounge where we could kick things off with a glass of champagne. Then we got a free stay at a five-star hotel where we could relax and go to the beach. Okay, so now I'm sure you're wondering how I got it for free, and you know I don't get keep, so here's the insider knowledge you need to know. I did it by signing up for a free built credit card. Built is a credit card that lets you earn points just for paying your rent, and there's no extra fee. And when I say free, I mean free. There's no annual fee for the credit card, and they don't charge a transaction fee for paying your rent with the card. You'll also earn two times the points on travel and three times the points on dining. Once you get your points, you can transfer them to travel partners like airlines and hotels to then get the free business class flights or five-star hotels like I did. To sign up for this card, go to ericataughtme.com slash built. Erica is with a K and built is B-I-L-T. Or to make it easier, go to the link in the show notes. Again, that's ericataughtme.com slash built. What about like the top three lessons that you've learned that you think all beginner real estate investors should know?
1: I mean, number one is is really just like the top tip that I'll give anybody. And it really is taking action. Really. I mean, there's this thing in real estate called analysis paralysis. And it's basically where you want to like do this thing. Like, let's say there's a house and then you're like, okay, I want to buy this house and I want to flip it. And then you're like, I'm going to research it, and then you start watching YouTube, and you're like, okay, I think I can do it, and then you start reading the blogs, and then you start, you know, listening to the bigger pockets podcast, and then you start asking people, and now you've researched so much that you kind of hit this wall where you can't really find out the answers to certain questions without doing it, and so because you can't find those answers out, you're like, oh, is this right for me? And then you just get really stuck. Um, that was admittedly a very long answer for what analysis paralysis is, but effectively over-researching sometimes can just stop you from ever taking action in real estate. And so I am a big subscriber of the idea that you should punch a hole in the wall. This is like my favorite metaphor where when I was doing DIY stuff at just grew like in the past couple of years before Airbnb and all that stuff, when I was doing like a project on a wall, uh, I would put it off, right? And so I would just to commit to doing the project, I would just punch a hole in the wall, right? I'd get a hammer and be like, and hit a, hit, hit a hole into it and be like, all right, the hole's there now. And if I don't start this project, I'm going to have to either look at the hole or my wife will be like, Hey, can you fix that? Cause I don't like looking at it. So it forced me to like take the next step and like, you know, kind of demo the whole thing and then actually do the project. I think real estate is very similar to that where, If you really want to do something, whether it's Airbnb, whether it's house hacking, whether it's flipping a house, whether it's buying a long-term rental, you should do it and just figure it out. Like take action. Taking action can take so many forms. Like you can call a realtor and ask them questions. That's taking action. You can get a pre-approval from a lender. That's taking action, right? You need to do both of those things before you can make an offer on the house and make the offer on the house. And probably you're going to get a no but that's okay because you still took action. And you're like excited about it, right? And then if you put in five offers, then one will get accepted. Great. Now you're in escrow and what's the worst that can happen? You can walk away if if the inspection report goes bad. So it's all about like taking small steps towards a really big goal. Yeah. I think people look at real estate as this thing that's really impossible because they see the final product of something and they're like, I could never do that. But what they don't realize is that it it took like, 2000 steps to do that. And anyone can take a tiny step, you know? Yeah. Um, so that would be like my big, big learnings. I think from real estate is my entire portfolio. You where I'm at today. I've got 35 units now. Um, I'm trying to get to hundred by the end of 2023. It has all been a product of me just taking action and doing it and putting myself in a position that honestly made me a little uncomfortable because I didn't know what I was doing. And probably not the best legal advice, but it is good advice for people that want to get into real estate because if you don't just put yourself out there and take a bet on yourself, like you'll never get started.
0: Yeah, that's really good. Number two.
1: Number two. Oh boy. Okay. All right. Number two would be don't do it alone. Um, So this is a really big one. Like when you're first starting, you tend to wear a ton of hats, right? You're trying to get all of the, you know, I was I was at one time the cleaner and the concierge and like the restocker of toilet paper and all that kind of stuff, right? And you can do that for a little bit, but if you really wanna scale and grow a lot bigger, you have to start relinquishing control. This is actually where I'm at in my current business, like all of my businesses, is hiring people to do all the things that I'm good at. And that's really hard. I think it's really hard for a lot of investors because when you're getting into it and you're trying to get into real estate, you're trying to pinch pennies. And you're trying to like save as much money as possible. And when you hire someone, that means that you're making less money. But if you want to flip 10 houses, you can't do all the work yourself. You have to trust other people to do it. And number three would be just having systems and processes that dictate how you run your business. For me, I have a lot of automations in place when I get a notification from a cleaner. That gets sent over to my my assistant slash property manager. She will then order new toilet paper. It gets delivered. She lets my cleaner know. It's all an ecosystem that's based on having certain ways that you run your business and documenting them. Like I didn't have anything documented for a really, really long time. So when I was training my assistant and she's like, How do you do this? I'm like, you know, I, you know, I don't, I can't verbalize it. I just do it. And so like you know, creating looms and like spreadsheets. And, you know, back in the day when I was analyzing properties, I was just kind of like looking and adding it up on my calculator and stuff like that. And now I have, you know, three or four different types of spreadsheets that analyze different things, right? Yeah. That for me is a system and a process. Like I don't just buy a house because it looks cool. That's not always true. Sometimes I do because (laughs) I know that it's going to, you know, I know it's going to do well, but I pop that house into my spreadsheet I run the numbers, I pencil things out, and my process for doing that ensures that when I close on it and I list it on Airbnb, I'm gonna make money, right? So, one, take a bet on yourself, take action. Two, hire people, don't do it alone. And three, have systems and processes in place so that, and and document them so that whenever you're hiring people and scaling up your business, you can refer them to literature on how your business runs.
0: Yeah, no, the SOPs are very important for. Any business, I think. And I actually use Loom, too. And Loom is just where you can screen record your screen. Mm
1: You're in the bottom of it.
0: And you see your face, too. And you can just show people, like, here's the process. For example, here's me using the spreadsheet and showing me assessing whether this is a good property or not to buy, right? Mm -hmm. I'm sure people come to you and say, well, what you're doing with real estate investing is really cool, but I don't have any money to start. What do you say to them?
1: So there are different ways that you can do it, right? Um, I think you can find a mentor that can teach you. I mean, I I don't think that there's anything wrong with learning how to do what you want to do. Um, But at the same time, you know, my start really came out. I mean, I think my first, like that apartment I was telling you about, I furnished it with like 2,000 bucks. And I was like that person that drives down an LA neighborhood and sees like an Ikea counter or a, a wardrobe and I'm like, We got to stop and then load it in the truck, right? So I was really scrappy with it. So there are definitely affordable ways to get into it, but you can find a mentor, you can find someone that's doing doing what you want to do, and help them and provide value and say, "Hey, I see that you're flipping this house. Can I help you do it? You don't have to pay me." And that's the therein lies a rub, right? Doing free work. A lot of people want to make money, but they're not willing to a lot of the times do the work that goes into it, right? They see that end goal of like, "Man, I want to make a million dollars in real estate." But sometimes you do have to do free work for a yeah. long time for people, right? Picking their brain, like if someone wants to sit down and and ask me questions about Airbnb, right? Like I'm like, okay, I can answer that for like five hours, or I could, you could, I'll show you how to do it, right? Um, obviously, like I'm not doing that all the time now. But when I was, <laughs> yeah, you, you have people running, yeah, TV. Like, to say, oh, I, let me caveat that. But you? for people that are in the industry that you know have like one to five units. They need the help, right? So if you go to someone that has an Airbnb and say, "Hey, can I help you run these? I just want to learn," and you know maybe you can make money from doing it, right? Like that's one way to do it. Putting yourself out there. The way I scaled out scaled up my portfolio is I didn't have money to go out and buy houses. I really did it. Like all of, like my tiny houses were all bootstrapped. Truly, like I, you know, had to go like diving into my couches to get the money, but. When I actually started partnering with people, I just put myself out there. This was before I started a YouTube channel, all that stuff. I was always posting about my Airbnbs. I was always talking about my success doing it, like not in a braggy way, but like a yeah. hey, I'm proud of what I built. And I had friends that reached out and they were like, Hey, I've got money. Um, I see that you're doing Airbnb. I don't know how to do it, but like if I paid for it, would you help me do this? And I was like, Yeah. And so I bought, you know, I partnered up with friends and bought like that cabin in the Smokies that I told you, another friend of mine, we were in improv together here in LA. And, um, after a show, he was just like, Hey man, so you're into, you're into real estate. Right. And I was like, yeah. Cause he just saw like a post on my Instagram. He's like, dude, I've always wanted to do it. I've got like a hundred K show me how to do it and I'll pay for it. And we'll be 50, 50 partners. And I was like, great. And uh, on the way to this podcast, I just got off the phone with him with like houses, talking about houses that we're going to build together. So that's cool. we're still in business together now. Right. Um, but I put myself out there and made kind of like, you know, real estate part of my personality and my identity. That way, when people think of real estate, they come, they think of me, right. They came to me and they would offer me money. So I think you could have no money and offer to help somebody, or you could have no money and go to someone that wants to get into it and say, Hey, I'll be the sweat equity. I'll do all the work if you fund it. And you know, you never have to like worry about it kind of thing. And that's how I built up most of my portfolio. Most of my portfolio has been working with partners or investors.
0: In real estate investing, give me your top three tips for minimizing risk.
1: Um, So this is going to be a, you know, a little bit of contradictory to my other tip of like just taking action and not having analysis paralysis. But I do think that you can educate yourself, right? Like you can learn. And I think that's really important I just think at the moment where you're consuming a lot of content and a lot of education and you don't feel like you're, you're like, the moment you feel like you're sort of plateauing mm-hmm. out with the education that's available to you, that's when I think you should jump in. But first you have to do that, right? You have to have the education. So I would say, learn as much as you can, read books, listen to podcasts, like Bigger Pockets, obviously, YouTube channels, and find people that are doing what you want to do, right? You know, when I say just jump into it, take action, that assumes that you've done a little bit of homework, right? All the times that I jumped into it, I did enough homework to be like, I think I can figure it out you know. once the test comes. And I did. Um, so educate yourself and just make sure that you, that you have everything down from like a conceptual level. Two would be, analyze your deals very conservatively, especially if you're working with other people. I mean, I think that's really going to be the, the biggest way to de-risk anything. You know, when I'm analyzing my own properties, I'm willing to take swings. Um, I'm currently looking at a property I'm in escrow on a property in Denver that at a baseline should break even. It it will break even if in a medium case scenario could lose money, but in the best case scenario, I think it can make $70,000 a year. And so I'm willing to take that risk because I'm like, it's my house and I love it. And I think that it can make great content for me. And I think it's going to be inspiring for people and I can make money. So I'm cool to do that. But when I'm working with an investor, I would never take that deal. Mm -hmm. So I think you have to learn to let go of deals very quickly when they when other people's money is is on the is on the line. Like my rule of thumb, just from a personal standpoint, is when I'm working with an investor, when I look at an investor's dollar, like let's say I lose a dollar for an investor, I feel like I've lost four dollars of my own, right? Like that's how I try to evaluate it. So when we're doing like a repair, that's like a thousand bucks. I'm like, all right, that feels like I just lost four, $4,000. Like I have to put myself in that mindset so that I'm extremely conservative and extremely strict with like running things, my own properties. I can run them loose and colorful. No big deal. Working with an investor. You got to be like really, really conservative. Tip number three, have multiple exit strategies. I think that's super, super important. Some people go into short-term rentals and that's the only thing that they want to do. And that's all they want but they haven't really considered ways to get out of it in case there's regulation, in case anything happens, right? And so for me, when I'm comping out a property, especially short-term rentals, I'm trying to say, okay, if I buy this this Airbnb and let's say it gets regulated from a city, can I convert it to a medium-term rental? Yes. Will I still make money? Yes. Can I convert it to a long-term rental? Yes. Okay. In the case that those don't work, can I sell it and get my money back through the appreciation? yes, I can. Okay, great. I'm going to buy this property. But if you don't have multiple ways to get out of it, then I think that's where you get into a really risky situation. Because what if you spend all your money on an investment and then it gets regulated two months later, now you've spent, you know, possibly six figures on a down payment and twenty, thirty thousand dollars 30000 on furniture. Now you got to figure out what to do, right? And if you sell it, you might lose money if you had just purchased it like in the last three months. And so not having a backup plan there makes it really, really tough. So I try to analyze my deals to work for about three or four different scenarios. And that, for me, makes me feel good because I know, hey, if it doesn't work out as an Airbnb, I'll convert it to a medium-term rental like I did with my, my house here in LA.
0: No, that makes a lot of sense. For first-time real estate investors, do you recommend that they do it in the city that they live in? Or do you have specific cities in the US that you think are very good cities to be investing in right now?
1: I'm a big fan of investing in your backyard. And when I say that, I don't literally mean your backyard, although I actually did literally start in my backyard. <laughs> but I think anywhere two to two and a half hours away from where you live is fine when you're getting started. Just because I think feasibly, from a mental standpoint, you can jump in a car and you can drive to that house if anything goes wrong and, and really check on it. Anything outside of that isn't super feasible Uh, Four hours is not just something you can do, right? That's like an eight-hour round-trip thing. So for me, when I was building that house in Joshua Tree, I was like, it's two and a half hours away. If it burns down, I can get there really fast kind of thing. I never went out there once. But it was nice to know that I could. This is something that I've learned from co-host of Bigger Pockets, David Green, long-distance investing, very, very possible to do that as long as you have what we call your core four, which is like your contractor, your realtor, your loan officer, and your handyman, something like that, right? Those are the people that are really running your properties. And it's the same thing with Airbnb. I call them my Airbnb Avengers. Don't come after me, Marvel. But um, <laughs> this is like my cleaner, my handyman, my landscaper, my pool guy, and probably some my contractor. We'll put them in there. And when anything goes wrong in my properties, they're the ones that are going to fix it right like i had a roof leak in my tiny house in joshua tree i don't know how to fix a roof leak and it was leaking from the ceiling who did i call my contractor who did he call his roof guy they fixed it right so i think the idea of investing long distance is like really scary maybe you don't have to start there i think starting in your backyard is pretty good like i mm-hmm. think you should do that but you could get to long distance investing very quickly because if you have people that you can depend on they're the ones that are going to fix anything that goes wrong. I mean, at the end of the day with real estate what you're asking is who not how. Who's going to do who's going to fix this problem, not how am I going to fix it?
0: Yeah. What other advice do you have for first timers who are just getting started?
1: You know, my favorite um I, I kind of talked about this at the beginning of the the podcast, but I'm a really big fan of house hacking. I really am. I mean, I house hacked twice or, or three times really when I lived in Kansas City. My mortgage was 1100 bucks but he moved to town he was like i'll pay you 400 bucks to live there i remember he venmoed me 400 bucks this was you know at that time i was not making a ton and um i remember that 400 bucks was like life changing i was like oh my gosh we can like get double steak at chipotle you know like that that was like a big deal <laughs> Add right the avocado and, and i can do the walk and it's and it's extra and it's okay um but i think house hacking is really great and i attribute house hacking to the catalyst of my entire portfolio so for people that are really scared to get into real estate, I think it's a very achievable way to do it. You can buy a house that you were gonna buy anyways, rent it to tenants or to friends or to whoever, learn how to do that, learn how to get a lease going. And I think you'll be like, Oh, okay, the money's really great. I'm subsidizing my mortgage. I think I can do this again, but you know, long distance or like, you know, across town or whatever. So to me, I think house hacking is the greatest tool for unlocking wealth. Truly I do.
0: So the podcast is called Erica Taught Me, but really today is all about Rob. So what do you want people to walk away from this podcast being able to say, Rob taught me this?
1: I want people to listen to this and say, Rob taught me that a regular person, anybody out there can get started in real estate. That's all I want. Like I I try to make real estate approachable to the everyday person. That's my mission in all things that I do.
0: I love that. You've done a great job today. Thank you. Thanks. I tried. I did my (laughs) best. If you want to see more from Rob, you can subscribe to his YouTube channel or listen to his podcast, Bigger Pockets. I'll leave the link to both in the show notes. And if you've enjoyed the podcast, please take a moment to leave a review. It really helps support the work that we're doing. Thanks for listening, and I'll talk to you next Tuesday on a brand new episode of Erica Taught Me.